Welcome to the Talks on Law California MCLE podcast, interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now for the interview. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Stanford Law Professor John Donahue. We'll be talking about gun laws, regulating weapons, what works, what doesn't. If you didn't catch part one, that may be a good place to start. Either way, welcome back to Talks on Law. And now back to the interview. So if universal background checks, if that's the low-hanging fruit, what's one tier up? Well, you know, it turns out we have lots of different gun problems. And so for every particular problem that we have, uh, you know, one solution may address that but won't address other problems. If you're talking about the mass killings, uh, then, you know, some sort of restriction on what we think of as assault weapons with the high-capacity magazines are, are what you'd like to control. Um, but that is not a big factor in the overwhelming numbers of suicides and accidental deaths and, and homicides because, um, you know, your bread-and-butter murder is not committed with, with an assault weapon. Uh, and and it's, it's much more common, you know, somebody shoots you during a stick-up, and that means it's probably a handgun. So keeping guns out of the hands of, of bad guys would be a good thing. Universal background checks would, would help. Waiting periods would, would help. But um, until we deal with the problem of the theft of guns, uh, we, we will never really solve the problem of, of guns in the hands of criminals in the United States. Because as I mentioned, uh, you know, one to 1.5 million guns uh, are stolen every year in the United States. And so that's constantly keeping the, the supply of guns in the hands of criminals uh, augmented. That's an important point because even if you're limiting people's access to buy a new gun, there's over 300 million guns currently already in circulation. That's the, the trick for dealing with, with gun problems in the United States. You really have to think, you know, what problem am I trying to solve here and, and how best to address that, that particular problem. The theft problem is huge. There are things that could be done. Uh, one thing that has been talked about, the NRA, of course, has fought this very mightily, is to... Uh, personalize the gun in some way so that it could only be fired by the owner. And so we saw that when... I saw this in a James Bond movie, something about a fingerprint recognition? Yeah, there, there are different ways that, that uh, these guns have been created, either fingerprint recognition or some sort of uh, uh, key that you have to keep on your finger or on your wrist, and, and the gun can't be fired without having that uh, that key or pin or whatever uh, device is used to personalize the gun. But uh, the, the NRA has fought this mightily. In fact, there's, there's uh, uh, quite a battle going on uh, because the NRA does not want these guns to be sold at all. So, so the one gun that the NRA fights to, uh, uh, to come to market are, are these sort of personalized guns. It seems like a win for them because if it can only be fired by one person, then uh, it reduces the ability to resell it. Right, but of course, the problem with it is if you cut down the flow of guns to the criminals, then you'd cut down the need for 
the law-abiding people to have guns. So it's very important for NRA strategy to make sure criminals have guns. Uh, if the criminals don't have guns, the sales of guns would, would drop very dramatically. And think of it, a gun is something that's around for a long time, and we have 300 million of them already. And so the, the gun sellers need to keep finding ways to entice people to buy more guns. So they either have to make them more powerful, more glamorous, um, and keep the level of fear high so that people are constantly buying new guns. Um, and so this is because the, the levels of people who are engaged in gun sports hasn't necessarily been, been growing. Yeah, and indeed hunting and, and sports shooting are in a very substantial long-run decline in the United States as the society becomes more um, urban. And, um, and, and so if, if you want a growth industry, you have to sort of uh, convince people to buy more guns, you have to convince them to buy more powerful guns and sort of entice them into assault-type weapons, uh, and also keep the level of fear high. So, so the NRA strategy, if you watch any of the, uh, the NRA uh, advertisements, is to really convince you, uh, if you don't have a gun by your bedside, somebody's going to come and you know, attack you safe. and, and uh, do harm to your family. So while we're on the topic, guns don't kill people, people kill people. What do you think about that? The gun doesn't fire itself, so, so people uh, certainly get involved. Um, and the, the problem is, um, certainly if, if you're a torts professor such as I am or a criminal law professor, uh, you see how many people's lives are ruined because they themselves bought guns. Uh, either they end up shooting somebody that they didn't mean to shoot or in a moment of anger, uh, they, they shoot somebody that they later Instead regretted. of punching someone, they might grab a gun. Right. Or, you know, their, their child finds the gun and, and ends up killing someone. So, so buying a gun is, uh, is something that is often done with the idea of promoting protection of self or family, um, but frequently uh, ends up, you know, involving uh, some sort of accident or untoward event. Now, when I say frequently, uh, you have to remember we're a big country and there are only 30,000 total gun deaths uh, in, in the country. So a gun death is still a relatively infrequent thing. But if I had to uh, you know, assess the evidence, I'd say for the vast majority of people, you and your family would be safer without the gun than you would be with the gun because the number of bad things that can happen with a gun just is a little more numerically uh, uh, greater than the, the number of good things that will happen in terms of self-protection. If, if you're a hunter or, or a target shooter, then you need the gun to, to, to engage in the behavior. But for most people, uh, self-protection probably isn't a, a particularly wise reason to buy a gun unless there's something really specific about your case in a high crime area or in your profession that would lead you to need the, that extra level. The United States may have the most guns, mm -hmm. but we're not the only country that has high gun ownership. Mm -hmm. What about countries like Finland or Switzerland that have high gun ownership 
but lower, much lower, violence related to guns. Yeah. The Swiss example is a very interesting one because the, the NRA will frequently cite Switzerland um, because um, in Switzerland, if you're in their militia, uh, which most young men will be enlisted into, uh, then you get an assault weapon and you keep the assault weapon at home. Uh, but what the NRA doesn't tell you is that in Switzerland, you're, you're forbidden by law to shoot that for any reason, for self-protection. You're not allowed to shoot the assault weapon. Um, and the only time you're allowed to shoot the assault weapon is if the government has issued a national emergency alert. And then you're allowed to fire the weapon if you have to fight your way to the central repository where the people are gathering. So it's but, only for national security, national yeah, defense. For, for national defense. It, it essentially, Switzerland has the system that the founders of our countries envisioned when they adopted the Second Amendment. You'd have a militia-based defense of the country. Um, and you're given a, a canister of bullets with 20 bullets in it, um, and the canister is sealed, and every year you have to show that the canister is still sealed, and if you can't show the canister is sealed, you're then arrested for committing a crime. So it's a country that NRA might want to cite for gun ownership purposes, but for no other. Uh, those are the types of laws that would make uh, the leadership there shudder. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very regulated system, and, and not, not a particularly bad system. Uh, um, and, and I think, in, in general, the, the phrase of the Second Amendment that um, often gets ignored by the NRA, in fact, if you look at the NRA headquarters, they, they deleted the first phrase of the Second Amendment from their, the, the banner on their uh, facade of their building, which is ingrained in stone, because they don't like the words well-regulated. And of course, any country that has a low level of gun violence well regulates their, their guns. Uh, there's no country uh, in, in the world that, that has a low level of gun violence and, and has unregulated. How about the example of Finland? Finland has, has a lot of guns, but nowhere near the handguns that, that we have. Uh, we, so these are hunting, yeah, hunting weapons? Yeah, hunting weapons. Finland does have a, a, a much higher uh, homicide rate than other countries in Europe because it does have a lot of guns. But um, the, the, uh, the guns that you most fear in terms of crime are handguns because they're easily mobile. concealed and mobile and, and, and therefore most attractive to, to criminals. That's why many people thought in the 2008 Heller decision that the Supreme Court might say you have a constitutional right to keep and bear arms, but the states can ban handguns, which would be a, one way to reduce the, the criminal use of guns. And then you could still defend yourself with a shotgun um, or, or other long gun. That might be a better system if you really want to save lives but um, now, after the 2008 decision, you have a right to have a handgun for self-protection. Another defense of uh, gun rights would be that not only, okay, maybe guns kill people sometimes, but guns can also prevent crime. Mm -hmm. Guns stop people from killing people. Yep. Yeah, and, and there certainly are examples where, where um, guns have been used in, in a self-protective way. 
and, and again, I think that gives a, a lot of power to uh, uh, the, the NRA arguments on behalf of gun ownership, that you can cite some examples where, where someone did use a gun to uh, protect themselves. Um, but again, it's, it, buying a gun for self-protection is, is a little bit like uh, someone saying, oh, uh, my, my dad had uh, uh, you know, an, an x-ray and they found out that he had a brain tumor and if he hadn't had the x-ray, uh, we wouldn't have known that he had a tumor, so I'm going to get an x-ray of my brain every day for the rest of my life. That would not be a good idea because x-rays, of course, expose you to other dangers. And it, and it is true that if you did get an x-ray for the rest of your life, you probably would find some bad things occasionally. You're probably more likely to end up with a tumor. Yeah, but, but then you can end up um, you know, promoting it. So everything becomes uh, a risk and reward trade-off. And again, um, for, for most of America, um, you're probably safer relying on the police and just being careful about your life uh, if you're afraid about you know, somebody coming into your home, uh, alarms and dogs or even mace uh, or um, tasers uh, you know, could be helpful. Um, but having a gun uh, you know, probably does save a few lives, probably does keep a, a few... Uh, uh, thefts from occurring. Yeah, the U.S. has a higher homicide rate, but compared to a country like the United Kingdom, we, we have a lower burglary, incidence of burglary. It's, it's possible that uh, there, there's some deterrence in, in this regard, um, but uh, again, the trade-off is, is lives. Uh, you, you can reduce certain types of, of, of crime uh, by having guns, uh, but you're probably ending up with more dead bodies uh, by virtue of the total number of accidents and suicides and, and the guns leaking into criminal hands. Also, one, one thing that uh, the NRA uh, is not good at thinking about is in a society that has lots of guns, uh, A, criminals want to arm themselves more frequently because they, they fear uh, meeting resistance, and they also shoot faster. Uh, so, so, so they think you might have a gun, they might kill yeah. you before they rob you. Yeah, and, and so uh, if you're reaching for your wallet when the burglar, I mean, when the robber is saying, give me your money, um, a, a, an edgy bur robber might end up shooting you because he's thinking you're reaching for, for a gun. So it, it does, uh, guns, you know, escalate the level of risk. Uh, uh, but it, it turns out to be, you know, a, a, again, an interesting question of costs and benefits. And, and if you happen to be someone who's in a very high-risk area, you don't have children, then maybe the cost-benefit for you is uh, in favor of gun ownership. But if you're in a, certainly in a low-risk area and you've got young kids, uh, and, and certainly if you're leaving the gun Loaded. loaded and available, then the risk-reward goes clearly in the wrong direction. So we've talked a bit about regulation, perhaps smart regulation or regulation that might make a difference. Let's talk for a second about the other, the other side. Regulation, let's call it gun-loving regulation. This seems to be a trend. 
Yeah, the, the NRA uh, realized that um, uh, there's, there's a danger of promoting this, uh, this uh, uh, gun culture if the, the people who use the guns can end up being prosecuted or, or sued in certain cases. And so they promoted the, the use of the standard ground laws. Can you explain that? Well, the standard ground laws are, are essentially uh, trying to make very explicit that if you feel you're under some sort of threat, you're allowed to stay and, and use deadly force to resist the, the threat that you face. Now, of course- So you're not required to attempt to flee. Yeah. And, and, and of course, in many cases, that seems perfectly reasonable. I mean, if a guy is coming at me with a hatchet and I have a gun uh, and you know, he's about to hit me with it, uh, then it, it makes sense to take reasonable self-defense measures. And if, if a gun can stop and save a life, then that would be a good thing. The, the problem is that uh, uh, this particular regulation probably gives a, 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 both a bad message that you should feel uh, the, empowered to shoot people when you, you don't really have to. So for example, if, if a guy came up to me and said, hey, get out of your car, uh, you know, I want your Mercedes, and I can just you know, floor the accelerator and take off and get away, um, I'd prefer that the person floored the accelerator and took off rather than pulling out the gun and shooting the guy. Um, have there been examples of that? Well, uh, there, there probably haven't been examples of that, but that's the fear of the stand your ground uh, mentality that it will in, encourage this sort of behavior. Um, the, the problem with stand your ground that comes up repeatedly now is that anytime even a criminal kills someone, they're trying to assert the stand your ground defense. And it's very easy to say, if there's no witnesses, that, hey, this he came guy at came at me, and now the guy is dead, so he's not able to defend himself in that regard. And so while standard ground certainly sounds like it makes sense in many respects, um, it's, it's very often uh, complicating the prosecution of, of real criminals. Also, you think of the cases like uh, George Zimmerman, um, who probably uh, felt more empowered to go after someone because he had a gun and, uh, and then used it. And, and of course, everything about that incident would have been a better situation if he had not had a gun. Um, at the worst, you know, maybe someone would get a bloody nose, but uh, you know, a 17-year-old kid would not have died and there was never any reason for that kid to be uh, uh, challenged in the first place. And so those are the things. This that was we the, the incident where he was wearing a hood and had a bag of Skittles. Exactly, exactly. And and again, this is this is the the danger of the gun culture. I think in the United States, um, that that people tend to think guns are going to be the solution to a problem that can sometimes be better addressed without resorting to any sort of lethal violence. There have been some other new gun, uh, pro-gun innovations. Uh, one, I believe in North Carolina, was uh, allowing guns to be brought into bars or restaurants or even on schools. The, 
think about it, if, if you really feel it's important to carry a gun with you um, for self-defense or for other purposes, I guess it would largely be self-defense if you're talking about carrying it in your daily life, um, you don't want to constantly be told you, you can't come in here, uh, the gun isn't welcome here. Uh, so the NRA, which is trying to promote this gun ownership and gun carrying, uh, is trying to get legislatures to expand the arenas in which the gun can be brought and therefore restrict the areas where you can't bring the gun. They, they've been quite successful in, num in a number of southern states, particularly in, in doing just that. Um, and, and it's very much a strategy that if you can make guns sort of part of the natural way of life that will promote gun sales. Uh, you know, it's a little bit like cigarette smoking. If there are a lot of places that say, you know, you're not allowed to smoke here, it's gonna cut into the sales of cigarettes. And so for years, the tobacco industry was fighting these restrictions on, on cigarette smoking and, and the NRA uh, has very consciously followed the strategies of the, the Tobacco Institute in, in trying to forestall regulation. All right, let's take a quick break for the MCLE listeners. If you're listening for CLE, MCLE credit in California, the code for this course is 547689. Again, that's 547689. And now back to the interview. I mentioned that, that some states have allowed gun use in new locations, bars. That makes me think alcohol. Are there restrictions on, on using guns when you're drinking? You know, most of the, the places that say they um, uh, you're allowed to bring the, the gun into the bar, specifically say you're, you're not supposed to be drinking when, when you use the gun. Um, of course, there, there's a lot of concern about whether this will, will be honored or not, and if you're drunk and have the gun on you. Is that, that a crime? Uh, well, it's, it's an interesting question. Is it, a, is it a crime to be drunk and possessing a gun? It's certainly a crime to be drunk and using a gun. Um, but um, I'm not sure exactly if there's, if there's a, a specific law that prohibits uh, being drunk and having a gun on your, on your person. One interesting tidbit in this arena is that in the wake of Newtown, some states have moved in the direction of encouraging or at least allowing teachers to carry weapons in the school. And again, the idea is that if the madman is loose on the school, the teacher might be able to shoot them. Uh, but I, what I thought was interesting is that most insurance companies who insure schools have either declined coverage when this is done or greatly increased the, uh, the insurance costs. Um, so at least the market is suggesting that there is greater danger from this. Interesting, because and, 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 you know they're running the numbers. Yeah, they're running the numbers. And, and this is the issue that one really needs to always think about uh, whenever you're talking about guns is, is what's the cost and, and what's the benefit. The, the NRA only tells you about the benefits, but if you want wise policy, you have to think about the costs and the benefits. We've talked a lot about the NRA, 
but they're not the only uh, kid in town. Mm -hmm. There's another organization that promotes gun rights that may be even more uh, vociferous than the NRA. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting amalgam of uh, of forces. The the without the 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 gun manufacturing industry, though. Uh, you would not see the same level of power in, in the gun lobby that we see. You know, for example, the AARP, which is the retired people in the United States, is 40 million members. Uh, the NRA is 4.5 million members. So uh, just in terms of the, the number of the people that are represented by the NRA, it's a relatively small organization. Do they have a higher budget per capita, or do they have just more loyal, more... Or vocal. Yeah, well, it's a combination, but uh, the, the, the gun industry knows that they're getting good value for investing in, in stopping gun regulation, so they invest very highly in that. And then you do have a very small and incredibly uh, forceful and, and vocal group of, of gun advocates. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, um, Anytime you're implicating issues of personal security, uh, there is a tremendous psychological component there. And if you threaten someone's psychological well-being, and for the people who believe in, in gun ownership for protection, they can feel this extremely strongly, um, that's going to be a, a very uh, a tendentious relationship if you try to, to take take guns away from those people. Tendentious, that's a, <laughs> that's a SAT word for <laughs> you might get shot. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, uh, um, you know, an, an, an interesting aspect. But, you know, if, if you go around uh, like a European city, uh, people just do not fear death uh, the way you can fear death in an American context because uh, uh, sort of guns are not part of the, uh, the everyday environment in most European cities, but guns are, are very clearly part of the everyday environment in, in the United States. Um, so I, I think in one way we're, we're doing something terribly wrong at the macro level, uh, but this might be one of the cases where the you know, the micro-interests and the macro-interests diverge, and, and at least in the United States, the, the, the micro-interests are, are winning out in this arena. In other words, the, the gun lobby, the gun industry, is, is winning even though that might not be what the general populace wants. Yeah, and, and, and it might not be, it's certainly not what the public, public wants on things like universal background checks. That, that is overwhelmingly supported. Uh, but even on issues of, you know, would we be safer with a massive reduction in the number of guns, the public probably doesn't have a great idea what the answer to that question is. Um, but if you look to the European or the Australian uh, or the Canadian experience, I'd say, um, you know, getting rid of a, a lot of handguns would probably go a long way to uh, reducing uh, homicide rates in the United States, which are outrageously high given our level of affluence. For the developed world. Yeah. I mean, typically, the richer the country is, the, the less uh, homicide and gun violence you have. And the, the one big outlier to this is the United States, where we're way off the curve in terms of the number of homicides.
Well, at Talks on Law, we like to throw in new tech and uh, cutting edge issues. So I got to ask you, okay, we, let's imagine a world where we're implementing new laws, new regulations. We're getting rid of uh, high magazine clips. We're also now entering a world with 3D printing. How is this affecting the gun space? You know, we're, we're not there yet, but uh, if, if 3D printing uh, became, uh, uh, you know, a, a little bit more effective than it is now, then you're going to have the, the capacity to make plastic guns. And, and that is a frightening prospect because uh, right now, um, you know, to get into most courthouses and into various high-risk places like airports, uh, you have to go through a metal detector. But if you can make a plastic gun, then you can get through a metal detector without setting it off. So, so that is a, a potential danger. Right now, the technology is not so great. Uh, you know, maybe you can fire one bullet out of a, a, a typical 3D printed gun, and then the, the gun is sort of damaged by the, the firing. Um, so at this point, we're not in terrible shape, but it, it is something to, to worry about down the road. Um, so those who may be keeping an eye on this, we might be able to predict that there'll be new laws regulating, let's say, plastic weapons. Yeah, and, and, and Congress uh, is, is alert to the issue now uh, because they, they actually have requirements that you're not allowed to have a purely plastic gun. You've got to have some metal implemented into the gun. But of course, if we really get to effective 3D printing, um, then the game is, is sort of over because then, then anyone can make the gun. And if you're a criminal, you're not going to put the, uh, the, 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 the metal piece, metal piece in. So, so that is a, a, a dangerous world. And as you look around the, the world, there's, there's a battle everywhere in the developed world between the technology that's used to fight crime and the technology that's used to promote crime. Over the last 20 years, uh, the technology used to fight crime has, has been winning with things like better cameras and DNA and uh, things of that nature. Um, so crime around the, the developed world is in, in a period of decline, but things can change and, and hopefully this is, is one thing that doesn't change in the wrong direction. Well, Professor Donahue, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this issue. Maybe we can have you back to talk about some of the new tech ways that uh, we're fighting crime. Gl glad to chat with you today and uh, look forward to talking in the future. Thanks again. For more legal explainers and interviews with the titans of law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at talksonlaw.com slash podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting-edge interviews on the California MCLE podcast.